0: Light of infinite. There was a time when I stopped visiting Israel, because it was too difficult for me to go there after my Safda passed away. Her house had always been my first stop, I'd run there directly after the airport. She would likely have some Yemenite food and mind-blowing schnitzel waiting for my arrival. Back when I was in yeshiva and I lived in Yerushalayim, I would take my friends to my Safdas in Ramadan for Shabbatot. They all called her Jima. I remember waking up at 5am every day, covering her head and saying the morning tefillah. She would cook Yemeni food and Moroccan salads, and my friends and I would sing Shabbat songs in Hebrew as she sat on the couch crying from happiness. It's incredible to realize all the time that she and her family were exiled in Yemen and Ethiopia, and that they were able to come back to Israel, and that she could see her grandson living in Yerushalayim singing the songs that we have been singing throughout history every Shabbat since the Jews left Egypt. She had made it. We had made it. The yearning for home and the unification of a people with its ancestral homeland had been realized in her lifetime. Yemenite Jews are unique in the way that they are the strongest link to the Beit HaMikdash, the holy temple. They settled in Yemen while the temple still stood and have maintained their Hebrew pronunciation and Jewish practices in a completely unique way. Whereas most every other Jewish tribe has traveled and assimilated into the larger cultures around them, Yemenite Jews have stayed in Yemen up until the last hundred or so years. Even the great Eastern European Gadol Viposek Ador Rav Moshe Feinstein said that the Yemenite Jews' pronunciation of Hebrew is closest to that of Moshe Rabbeinu out of the Parsha, which centers around the Beit HaMikdash, the holy temple, and its practices and how these pertain to our lives. The Hebrew word Kabbalah means parallel or correspondence. So Kabbalah is the mystical teaching of the parallels and the correspondences between all of creation and the divine power that creates it. The temple is a microcosm of the creation, and all the rituals performed in it are both symbolic of and actualizations of the divine service each of us is tasked with in the physical world. When we use any element of our physical world for a divine purpose, we elevate the sparks within its holy source, turning the physical back into the spiritual. This week's parashah Vayikra begins when one among you offers a sacrifice to God. Immediately, we ask what sort of sacrifice, why, and how? King David, whose son built the first temple, writes in Tehillim, For you, God, do not desire sacrifices, else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Animal sacrifices were a way for ancient Jews to elevate themselves spiritually, but the sacrifices would have been meaningless if they weren't done with true intention and a full heart to heal oneself and the harm one has done. King David writes that God will not despise a broken spirit because true remorse makes a person feel broken and true repentance comes from the desire to be connected to Hashem again, in order to be whole. In order to achieve this level of return to shiva, we were commanded to bring a sacrifice in the time of the Temple, just as we are now commanded to pray in the absence of the Temple. The Hebrew word for sacrifice is korban, which comes from the word karov or likarev, meaning close or to bring closer. It's written in the pasuk, michem, which means yourself, implying the one who is offering the korban is sacrificing themselves. I love how Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs puts it, Vayikra is about why love needs law and law needs love. It's about the quotidian acts of devotion that bring two beings close, even when one of them is vaster than the universe and the other is immortal of flesh and blood. It is about being human, sinning, falling short, always conscious of our fragile hold on life, yet seeking to come close to God and what is something harder, allowing him to come close to us. The sacrifices were a beautiful and spiritual ritual. Picture the elements surrounding the sacrifice, with the presence of the Kohanim accompanied by the chanting and the music of the Livi'im. The Zohar teaches that the service of Kohanim was in silence with the devotion of the heart, signifying Hamshacha, drawing forth from above, while the service of the Livi'im was with song and music, signifying hala'a, sublimation elevating from below upwards. As it's written, the koanim in their silent service and their desire drew God's presence downwards and the livi'im in their songs and praises drew man's soul and his sacrifice upwards. This is mirrored in how we tend to the sanctuaries within our own soul, the inner acts of sacrifice we practice each day, the desire we have to bring holiness down from above, and the artfulness we use to draw our spirits and surroundings upwards. The second part of the Pusach that we read earlier reads, From animals, from cattle, or from flock, shall you bring your offering. This pertains to an animal and one's animal soul and relates to the physical body, physical desires, the natural world. So it's the physical sacrifice actually giving up the animal or its modern equivalent with the purpose to sanctify and redirect the animal in man. The Lubavitcher Rebbe explains that when the animal in man is harnessed in the service of God, it has the power to take him closer to God than his godly soul alone could reach. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward. Rab Natan of Breslov teaches that a person's sin is due to their lack of da, higher consciousness. As it's written, a person sins only because a spirit of foolishness overcomes him. To rectify this lack of da, the person must bring an animal sacrifice which reflects the animal's lack of God, And in this way, the person demonstrates their readiness to sacrifice their animalistic tendencies. We learn that the animal sacrifices in particular have the power to rectify the lowest world, and that the korbanot, in general, correspond to the act of creation, when Hashem separates good from bad. In the same way, the korbanot separate good from evil. As you read through the Parsha, you'll notice that the sacrifices are meant to create an aroma that is pleasing to God. Not only must each person bring the sacrifice to Hashem with a full heart, but each slaughtered animal must be fit to be sacrificed so that it is pleasing to Hashem. As above, so below. When preparing and shechting an animal for us to eat, the animal must be fit, meaning kosher. The Jewish laws and rituals for this are very specific and strict, and even after the animal is slaughtered properly and in a humane way, it is still inspected to see that there are no fatal lesions on the lungs. These are all aspects of the animal being fit or kosher. In regards to us being fit, we must eat as a means to serve Hashem, being mindful of that as its purpose. When our food is elevated into holiness, then the life it came from and our lives are elevated. So our sages teach that man's table is like an altar. That's why on Shabbat we salt the challah, just as the sacrifices were salted. Shabbat is a taste of the world to come, prayer is a taste and a mirroring of the rituals we once carried out in the temple. But if we have intention without action or action without heart, then the aroma we create is not pleasing and the sparks are not fully elevated. My prayer and blessing is that we mirror the upper realms in this physical world, that we liberate and elevate all the fallen sparks so that the world can reach its maximum spiritual potential that is pleasing on the highest level to ourselves and Hashem, so much so that the final redemption reveals itself speedily.